0: Hey, everybody. This is Ortho Review Part 3, where we're going to cover the lower extremities. This is for the Emergency Board Review Podcast. Again, my name is Steve Carroll, and I run the EM Basic Podcast. And I always have to mention that this screencast does not represent the views or opinions of the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or the Fort Hood Post Command. So let's get started. So pelvic fractures, you know, they're pretty low yield. Don't waste your time memorizing all the different kinds of pelvic fractures. Just know this: um, they can lose lots of blood. Uh, you know, average bad pelvic fracture can, you know, lose 12 units of blood. Um, or can need 12 units of blood during the resuscitation. Don't rock people's pelvis. So uh, Dr. Scalia from Shock Trauma was on MRAP once. I think it was MRAP. And he said, every time you rock the pelvis, you've just lost a unit of blood. So don't rock the pelvis. You're supposed to do anterior and posterior compression and then lateral compression. But don't rock it side to side. You want to minimize your number of exams and you know immediately apply a pelvic, pelvic grinder once diagnosed. This is more of a topic for uh, the trauma section. So hip dislocations. So this is an orthopedic emergency unless you have a prosthetic joint. We'll talk about that in a second. So posterior dislocations are most common, 80 to 90%. There's usually a direct blow onto a flexed knee. It's usually kind of an MVA. Um, The limb kind of appears shortened, adducted, and internally rotated and flexed. So patients with this can have sciatic nerve injury. Um, They'll have decreased muscle function below the knee, decreased knee flexion, and decreased sensation of the sole of the foot. So this is what a posterior hip dislocation looks like on x-ray. This will kind of be how the patient kind of looks just laying there on the stretcher. It's just an interesting picture that I found. So anterior dislocations, they're only about 10% of all hip dislocations. The mechanism is usually an extreme abduction, an MBA or a fall. So these patients can have femoral nerve injury, so they'll have decreased quadriceps function, decreased patellar DTRs, and decreased thigh sensation. So this is an example of an anterior dislocation. It's not all the way back here. It's kind of up more forward. You see how the legs uh, abducted extremely with a positive Throckmorton sign, of course. So look that up if you haven't don't know what that is. It's called Throckmorton. Um, so for hip reduction... Um, So the rapid reduction is important to avoid avascular necrosis, um, but only in um, natural hips. This doesn't apply to artificial hips because you've replaced everything that could possibly have avascular necrosis. So you want to attempt reduction in the ED within six hours of injury. So if it requires more than three attempts, you may want to stop and get a CT to check for some sort of fracture. Um, if you're uh, unsuccessful totally, you can go to the OR for reduction under general anesthesia. So prosthetic hips are usually reduced in the OR under general anesthesia. However, one study showed that 62% of them could be reduced in the ED with procedural sedation alone. Um, the thing is, is that you don't have any urgency to put prosthetic hips back in, so it's usually much slower a time period because they're not going to get avascular necrosis if everything's been replaced. So these are kind of some general techniques for uh, hip reduction um, you know this is one technique where you kind of hook your elbow in you pull upwards and twist while someone holds down um, this is the relatively newly described captain morgan technique this came out about a year year and a half ago this is where you strap the patient down in the stretcher and then you kind of put your knee up here like captain morgan and use that as a fulcrum to push down um, to push down and get someone's hip back in so yeah it looks like kind of a cool technique um so hip fractures so the typical exam is you know, the classic shortened and externally rotated um so here's a here's a real big pearl and this will probably show up in your exam so if the x-rays are negative but you're clinically suspicious get an mri because uh demoralized bone may not show fractures and i've had a couple of cases of these where the you know the x-rays were read as completely negative and even the ct was read as negative and the mri just looked like just looked awful so If X-rays are negative, just uh, fight for an MRI and get the patient an MRI. Um, And here's the other thing is that, believe it or not, some people may be able to ambulate on a non-displaced or minimally displaced hip fracture. So it's important to get that MRI and not just use a walk of life or trial of ambulation to make sure they're doing okay. Let's talk about some pediatric hip disorders. These are pretty high yield. You're going to need to know these cold. So five-year-old, non-toxic child with knee and hip pain, so it doesn't want to bear weight on either leg. But they look great. Otherwise, they just don't want to bear weight. So this is most likely transient or uh, toxic synovitis. Toxic synovitis was kind of the old school term. They tried to change that because toxic kind of you know makes you think something bad. So this is a diagnosis of exclusion. It's often something that you see after a viral illness. Um, but you know it can be kind of hard to figure out whether this is a septic hip or just uh, transient synovitis. So you may need a joint aspiration to confirm the diagnosis. Ultrasound has been shown to be very useful for detecting these uh, effusions and uh, guiding joint aspiration. So next case, this is a six-year-old male with a limp, groin pain, and hip pain. He is also afebrile non-toxic, but he's got this x-ray right here. So keep in mind, six-year-old male, limp, groin pain, afebrile non-toxic. So this is leg-calf-perthes disease. So the key for this one is the age, age four to nine. The other thing is that the term obese probably won't be in the question stem. And they shouldn't have pain with range of motion. So leg calf birthies is much younger than the next one that we'll talk about. I'm sure you're already kind of anticipating that. And usually they're not going to talk about an obese kid. So this is the next one. The 12-year-old obese male with hip pain and groin pain that is worse with activity. Um, Decreased range of motion on exam with tenderness of the hip. And you see this x-ray. This side looks good. That side looks kind of jacked up. And this is uh, skiffy or slipped capital femoral epiphysis. So these patients are older than like cap perthes. These are typically the 10 to 14 year old age group. And they're also usually going to be, they're going to tell you that the patient's obese. However, they can also be tall, thin, and rapidly growing as well. So the way I remember this is that, you know, in the alphabet L book comes before S. So like cap perthes is younger than SCIFI uh, usually helps. So septic hip, so this is this is the completely opposite patient. This is a patient who has fever, they're irritable, and they have a toxic appearance. They have a decreased range of motion with limp. Um, these patients need arthrocentesis. This is best under fluoroscopic or ultrasound guidance. So what you're looking for is a fluid with a high white blood cell count, 80 to 100,000, and neutrophil predominance of greater than 75%. So now let's talk about some patellar and knee stuff. So patellar fractures, this is usually done due to uh, blunt trauma or revulsion of the quadricep muscle. So if they're non-displaced, just like anything else, immobilize them. Weight bears tolerated tolerated with ortho. If they're really jacked up and displaced, they may need surgery. So patellar dislocation. So this is a twisting of the knee with the lower leg in some sort of fixed position. So the patella actually dislocates laterally. Um, for this, you're just going to put them, you know, to relocate this, you're just going to fully extend them and just physically kind of push the patella back into place. So knee dislocation. So anterior um, and posterior are kind of the most common, but you can also get lateral dislocations, medial dislocations, and rotatory dislocations. So in theory, there you know their ankle could be their foot could be pointing in the opposite direction. Um, you have to be very suspicious for vascular injury. You want to get ABIs or the ankle brachial index. So you put a blood pressure on their upper extremity and then you compare their um, uh, blood pressure on the lower extremity. And, you know, it should be about uh, 0.9. Um, I should have looked this up, but uh, I think it's like anything below 0. 0.8, you have to be really concerned for vascular injury. But if the, if the two blood pressures are close, then, you know, that rules it out. So, um, you, however, you know, if you really want to be sure, have a low threshold to do a CTA of the extremity, especially if the pain the patient is having pain out of proportion. If you're like, oh, this didn't seem like that bad of an injury, but they're in a lot of pain, just just do a CTA. I mean, yeah, you expose them to contrast, but the radiation for a lower extremity is, you know, not really that worrisome. So, but uh, this can have bad complications if you miss this. So the popliteal artery is the most common injury, and uh, even if subluxations can cause vascular injury as well. So even if the patients say, you know, my, my knee popped in and popped out, and they're in a lot of pain, and you're suspicious, um, keep in mind that you know bad stuff can happen with subluxations as well. And the patients can also have perineal nerve injury, and these patients need immediate reduction. So uh, tibial plateau fractures, this is the most common fracture of the knee. It's usually a fall from height or an MVC. So the femoral heads are kind of driven into tibial plateau. Um, The x-rays may only show fusion. So if you do an arthrocentesis on this, the thing you'll look for is like fat droplets in the uh, arthrocentesis uh, fluid. So what you can do is you can place the fluid on a slide, a microscope slide, if you even have those, or some sort of smooth surface. Like I think I've used like an IV, you know, the plastic for an IV uh, cover before. Um, so, if you see a bloody effusion, that should also make you suspicious for an ACL or meniscal tailor as well. So let's talk to some knee ligament tears. Uh, ACL is by far the most common injury. Two tests for that are Lachman's and anterior drawer. The only difference is that Lachman's, you have 15 to 30 degrees of knee flexion and an anterior drawer, you're at 90 degrees. You're going to be pulling towards you to test their ACL. Um, so and then pcl that's the posterior drawer test and it's rare to have these injuries in isolation so uh you're just gonna be pushing into the bed instead of away from the bed like the acl so lateral and medial collateral ligaments um valgus and varus stress um, something i always have trouble remembering so the way i remember is valgus has the l in it so you're pushing from the lateral side in and that 's going to test your MCL ligament, whereas varus stress tests your lCO You may just want to remember that because they may try to you know trick you up on the test by asking you which uh, which stress you know telling you that you applied one stress and trying to have you name the ligament so valgus lateral uh, medial lateral meniscus um, this is from quickly changing directions, squatting or twisting the knee. your knee may lock up with this so uh, let 's talk about baker's cyst, so this is an inflammation of the bursa in the posterior knee. Uh, as far as the exam, there's kind of this tense fluid-filled sac in the medial fossa of the posterior knee. Um, basically what happens is that the cyst ruptures, the fluid drains into the calf, and it causes pain and swelling. So this can look a lot like a DVT or thrombophlebitis, um, and it's diagnosed with an ultrasound. I mean, an ultrasound will tell you both you know, whether there's a clot or it can also diagnose Baker's cyst. So as far as treatment, um, these patients get pain control. Um, for adults, this is usually a result of meniscal tear or chronic arthritis, for kids, um, this is a primary thing, primary lesion, and it'll go away over one or two years. So osgood Slaughter's disease. Uh, this is a partial avulsion of the tib- tibial uh, tubercle. This is often an active male adolescent. It's bilateral in 25%. Uh, the pain's usually increase with running, jumping, climbing stairs, and it's better with rest. Uh, treatment for this is just rice. Quadriceps rupture. So this is a patient that can stand but cannot walk or extend their knee. There's diffuse knee swelling and a displaced patella. There's often usually a dramatic kind of popping sound for it. So as far as treatment, a complete tear should get early surgery, a partial tear, immobilize them in full extension with a kind of full leg uh, immobilizer. Chondromalacia patella or patellofemoral pain syndrome. This is the most common cause of knee pain. It's often called, called runner's knee. Um, this is young adults, females more than males. It's often bilateral. This is uh, intermittent patellar pain that's worse with prolonged sitting or climbing steps, also with running Uh, treatments, RICE, uh, quad strengthening exercises. So uh, TIB-Fib, let's talk about the compartments a little bit. So you have four compartments, your anterior compartment, your lateral compartment, your superficial posterior, and then your deep posterior compartments. You can kind of see how they kind of wrap around the uh, TIB-Fib right there. So your anterior compartment, um, the most common compartment affected by compartment syndrome, um, it can be caused by tibial fractures and strenuous exercise. So as, as far as signs, the pain out of proportion, there's a lot of that like to call poop. Um, we talked about this before, the increased pain with pact- passive plantar flexion and increased pain with active dorsiflexion, or I'm sorry, active, uh, active plantar flexion as well. Um, that should have been switched around. Anyway, uh, they have decreased sensation paresthesias. Don't strike your compartments in the test. Um, just call the emergent orthoconsult. This is a clinical diagnosis. So ankle injuries, um, moving out of the ankle. The lateral collateral ligament uh, is the most, by far, the most injured thing. It's caused by that classic inversion injury where someone turns their ankle. Uh, the ATF ligament, the anterior talofabular ligament, is the most common among the LCL uh, sprains in the ankle because it always tears first, first year your anatomy. Um, medial collateral ligament. This is very uncommon because you have to actually have an eversion injury. However, it's uh, associated fibular fracture or tear of the syndesmosis. So this is something that you really have to look out for. So, you know, the classic thing is that the intern always forgets to check the posterior knee for pain or tenderness, um, and they miss the uh, the fracture, the, the fibula up high. So then that fracture is called a masonu fracture. So this is a proximal fibular fracture. It can be an association with a rupture of the deltoid ligament or an avulsion fracture of the medial malleolus. You're going to check the posterior knee for tenderness. Of course, you always want to check, you know, joints above and below for any sort of injuries. But uh, you you kind of see that fracture right there of the uh, proximal fibula. So syndosmosis injury, this is often called the high ankle sprain. This is an injury to the intraosseous membrane that binds together the tibia and the fibula um in severe strains it can be torn and creates a very unstable joint you may have to get these like stress views in the ankle i've actually never ordered this but this is what the textbooks say and these uh, may need operative fixation so the uh this is the weber classification of fractures i mean i wouldn't spend time like memorizing this but just kind of know that you know the higher the grade the more unstable it is so you know abc this is the most unstable this is the least unstable and the other thing is is that below the taylor taylor joint they're non-surgical but above the taylor taylor joint they're surgical so you know they may show you one of these where they have a fracture below the taylor taylor joint and you know the answer is you know non-surgical and above it is surgical but i have a you know i don't know whether that's going to be really high yield for the test so ankle sprain treatment minor sprains first and second degree rice boot and crutches prn um, pain medications. Third-degree sprains, if they're unable to bear weight, um, you know they should probably get uh, ortho evaluation within 24 hours and non-weight-bearing until then. Ankle dislocations, uh, so posterior and medial are most common. There's a high percentage of malleolar fractures with these. So if there's neurovascular compromise, you're going to reduce right away prior to any x-rays to avoid any further injury. If there's still neuro- neurovascular intact, then you, know, you want to do x-rays first to rule out fractures. And for these, uh, you know, the patients, you know, uh, you know, foot is pointing one way, their legs pointing another. So often, what you have to do is that you actually have to, you have to torque the foot in the direction of the injury before you actually pull it down and pull it back in. Something you kind of, kind of visualize in your head. But the answer to this isn't just a muscle it. You actually have to go in the same direction and then pull it back around. So Achilles tendon rupture. This is a sudden pain in the Achilles tendon with associated pop or snap. So this is the classic weekend warriors or someone on fluoroquinolones, although the data for the fluoroquinolones thing is kind of weak. Um, Some people say that they have increased risk of this, but it's kind of weak. So they get a swelling of the distal calf, and sometimes you actually feel palpable defect. So this is the Thompson's test. So you can see that you squeeze uh, squeeze their calf, and the patient doesn't automatically plantar flex. So in this one, it looks like this one's the one that's affected because... He's squeezing the calf and it's not plantar flexing. So you put these patients in a posterior splint and, you know, a cam boot. uh, That's a good option as well. So uh, casting versus surgical, very controversial. You can let your orthopedic make, orthopedist make that call. So this is high yield Salter-Harris classifications for growth plate injuries often involved in kids. So the way I remember this is S-A-L-T-R. So smushed, above, below, L, through, and wrecked. So smush is the so the thing you have to know is that smushed, smushed and wrecked. So one and five can have very similar appearances um, soon after injury. So you know in theory, any if you have any suspicion for any sort of you know injury near a growth plate for a kid, they need to be splinted and followed up because they can look very similar. So um, saltires II is, is above the growth plate tires 3 is anything below the growth plate and then tires 4 is anything that goes through um, the growth plate. Um, and this is kind of uh, in range of, uh, you know, increasing worse prognosis. So just remember, one in five can look very similar. So if you have a high suspicion, make sure they get up. make sure they get splinted. So foot injuries, uh, calcaneus, this is a fall from height with compression. There's often associated lumbar fractures. Uh, we can talk about bowler's angle, but you know, you're never gonna remember it for a test. So here's my other little pearl here. If you have what appears to be a negative lateral ankle x-ray, think of this diagnosis. Um, so once again, so if you're, if you're looking at, you know, a lateral ankle x-ray and it looks negative, it's probably a calcaneous injury. List frank, uh, this is an axial or rotational load. Um, it can be from a crush injury, but the classic me- mechanism is an athlete who has cleats on, they plant their foot and they twist. You know, these patients have pain in their midfoot Um, Also, so think of this in a normal appearing AP x-ray of the foot. Um, CT scans can show fractures when the x-rays are equivocal, and these usually get surgical fixation. So you can kind of see here how the the metatarsals have kind of shifted right there. Um, You can see an associated fracture right there. These are all kind of fall under the uh, Lisfranc classifications. So Jones versus pseudo Jones. This is something they'll try to trick you up on as well. So Jones, um, this is a transverse fracture of the fifth metatarsal. Um, it's a forceful load applied to the lateral foot. So someone may like fall down steps and they like strike their lateral part of their foot um, while they're falling down steps. So it's non-displaced. They get casting with non-weight bearing. If it's displaced, they need surgery. Um, so the Jones injury is much more much more serious, whereas a pseudo Jones. Uh, It's called the Dancer's Fracture and this is just a small avulsion fracture uh, To the base of the fifth metatarsal Um, There must you know rest and walking boot, but you really don't need surgery as much from those I'll show you a picture in just a second. So for example, this is a Jones fracture right here Whereas anything down here like if there was just an avulsion down there, that's a pseudo Jones So Jones and pseudo Jones right there. So uh, surgical and not surgical so joint taps, you know, the reasons you'd be doing those are septic, you're suspicious for septic arthritis, gout, or pseudogout. So septic arthritis, the knee is the most commonly affected joint. You're going to be looking for a high white blood cell count, usually over 40,000, below glucose, but this can also be seen in RA, and a positive gram stain. But the, the gram stain is only positive about 25% of gonococcal infection, So you always want to make sure you ask about the sexual history and ask about any uh, urethritis symptoms. So uh, when you think about this, it's kind of like the same thing for meningitis. You know, high white blood cell counts, low glucose, and a positive gram stain. So kind of the same thing. So for gout, I think we all kind of remember this from step one, you know, negatively birefringent crystals. They're urate and they're needle-shaped. Uh, pseudogout is these positively birefringent crystals don't ask me what positively and bi- negatively refrigerant mean. I don't know. Uh, so these are calcium pyrophosphate, and they are rhomboid-shaped. So osteomyelitis, this is usually from bacteremia. Um, in all age groups, uh, staph aureus is the most common. So they're going to try to trick you here, and they're going to say, you know, say that salmonella is the most common cause for sickle cell. Don't fall forward. Staph aureus is always the most common. However, there is one key phrase. Um, if you have a puncture through the sole of the shoe, Staph is the most common cause, but you also need pseudomonas coverage for the kind of like the sweat around your sock and that kind of thing. So for sickle cells, staph is still most common, but you know they can also get salmonella osteomyelitis as well. So for osteomyelitis, the x-rays are often normal and MRI is your test of choice. As far as early signs, you can see soft tissue edema or periosteal elevation. Not really sure what that is. I haven't identified it on my own ever. Um, So as far as treatment for osteo, you're going to want some good coverage with something like unison and ceftriaxone. If you're suspecting MRSA, vancomycin instead of the unison. Um, sickle cell, you you want to cover them with a fluoroquinolone for salmonella, ceftriaxone instead of a fluoroquinolone for kids. Foot, uh, for a foot puncture, you know, Cipro, Ceftaz, and zosin are good choices. Um, and you know, if it worse comes to worse, you don't need surgical debridement amputation. So finally, let's uh, talk about, finish this up by talking about caudal equina syndrome. This is um, this is more back pain issue, but uh, it's kind of falls under orthopedics. So this is an acutely herniated disc through the midline or a tumor or abscess that kind of suddenly causes pressure on the spinal canal. If the pressure goes up slowly during the time, that's not going to cause problems. But if you have a sudden buildup in pressure, that's where you're going to get cauda quina. So as far as your symptoms, um, you're going to have back pain, leg weakness, numbness, um, bla- bladder and bowel retention first, and then incontinence, because it actually is a, an overflow incontinence that people get because they re- retain their uh, their bladder so long. So as far as their exam, they have decreased rectal tone, they have saddle anesthesia, they have a loss of DTRs and the cavernous reflex. Not really sure that's an ER test, but oh well. Um, the postvoid residual. This is something you can do with either a straight cath or an ultrasound. So if you have a po- so, what you do here is you ask the patient to pee, and then you look at how much urine is left in their bladder. If there's more than 100 cc's of urine left in their bladder after the patient urinates on their own, then this should require further workup. Some textbooks say you can have up to 150 or 200 in females, but the safest answer is to say is that anything over 100 requires further workup. As far as imaging for caudal aquinas syndrome, your MRI is your test of choice. This is one, one of the few times we get an MRI in the emergency room. Uh, some authors also say CT myelogram is also, can be used, but MRI is probably what you wanna answer for the test. So that's it, that's all I have for uh, orthopedics. I hope this was helpful for you. Uh, please email me with any questions or you know any comments or you know how I could have done this better. Uh, as always, listen to the EM Basic podcast on iTunes or embasic.org, and check out emergencyboardreview.com for lots of other great videos that are going to be posted in the next couple of weeks. That'll help you out with uh, the in-service exam, the qualifying exam, and the concert exam. So until next time, this is Steve Carroll for the EM Basic podcast and Emergency Board Review podcast. Signing off.